Hey everyone, I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring 20s Podcast. Today, we have on with us Jessica Lignato. Jessica is a humanistic astrologer, a psychic medium, a tower reader, animal communicator, and the author of the book Astrology for Real Relationships. I am so excited because, as most of our audience knows, astrology is one of my favorite things ever. All of our friends make fun of me that I'm like the group astrologer and I am by no means an astrologer. I just love it. And I just listen to all of Jessica's podcasts and read all her things and then regurgitate it to everybody else. So here she is in the flesh and you can have the real information. Hey, Jessica, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I mean, I'm very far from my twenties, but super excited to talk to y'all. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, no, don't worry. Being in your 20s is not a qualification of being on this show. <laughs> That's uh, a good thing. Yeah. I'm pretty far. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't look it. So yeah. no well, one would ever know. <laughs> We're definitely going to be talking about astrologies and how it relates to our 20s and um, especially in dating and romance and sex and our love life, because that is what Jessica knows all about. So Jessica, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from. And if you don't mind saying how old you are, since it is Roaring 20s, but you don't have Sure. To. Totally happy to say how old I am. And I wish that more women would say how old we are. I right? just like... You know, so many people who are like 20 years younger than me and don't want to say their name, their age in public. And it is so sad to me. Mm -hmm. I'm 47, almost 47 and a half. And usually I lie and tell people I'm 48 because I like to round up (laughs) Um, because whatever, why not? Um, Why not? But Why not? Right. So I am an astrologer, psychic medium, uh, writer, begrudged writer, I'm a podcaster, all that kind of stuff. Uh, animal communicator. I do lots of stuff and I am really interested in giving people tools that empower them to live lives in a way that actually leads up to what they want. Because so much of the time for a myriad of reasons, what we do is we act in ways that don't reflect what we want. And then we're shocked and very upset by what happens in life. And, uh, you know, I've got lots of resources for helping people kind of get out of their own way or identify why they are in their way. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about what I do. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing. We, that's something that we talk about so much here on the show is just like this whole idea of what we should be doing versus what we want to be doing versus this disconnect of like, we don't even sometimes know what we want to be doing because it's so clouded by what we should be doing. So I love that. We love that. And it's definitely um, part of the reason why we wanted to have someone like you on the show and why we really started the show was to talk more about what we actually want out of our lives and find those tools to be able to create it. So Uh, To bring it back to you, how did you come to this whole astrology thing? So what made you want to turn it into a career? So, and and that kind of wraps into the question I forgot to answer, which is where I'm from. So I'm from Montreal, Quebec, uh, Canada, for Americans who don't know the world. Uh, And I mean, not to, you know, be critical of Americans, but so many times people are like, wait, what? Where's Montreal? (laughs) So I'm from Montreal and I went to an alternative CSHEP and CSHEP is, we have a different school system out there. So it's like a two-year government funded college program that is super cheap. You take university classes, 
to decide what you want to do in uni. So it's a great system. Anyways, I went to an alternative uh, CJA where I got to study a, an introduction to astrology from a Jungian perspective because Carl Jung was, he was either an astrologer or super into astrology. It's kind of like I've heard mixed things. Um, so I'd always been really passionate about astrology. I'd really been interested. And this was, you know, in the uh, 80s and 90s. So again, I am older before the internet existed and before people had access to the internet. So it was through books um, and like horoscopes and stuff like that. I just had access to like cheesy, basic astrology. And then when I took this introduction to astrology course, I was like, well, shit, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do with my life. And then the second semester, he, that same teacher taught an intermediate class of astrology. And I was just like, this is absolutely what I'm going to do with my life. And it coincided with me coming out uh, of the closet. Well, I wasn't really in the closet. I realized how gay I was so gay, like super gay. So I I was just like, yeah, very, very gay. And so I was like, oh shit, I'm gay and I want to practice astrology. There's only one place in North America I could go really in the world that I was aware of at the time. And that was San Francisco. So, um, and it's a different world now, you know, you can practice astrology just about anywhere, but at the time it wasn't the case, um, especially because you couldn't learn things online that didn't exist. You had to be around humans um, and have books. So I packed a literal backpack full of astrology books and men's pants and mainly pinstripes. And I moved to San Francisco and I never really turned back. I've never done anything. I've had jobs, of course, but I really just committed my whole life to astrology. And by the time I was maybe 29 or 28 or something, I went full time. And yeah, and then my career has just kind of developed over the years really organically uh, since then. So I think that did that answer that question? I feel like yes, it kind of did. No, okay, cool, cool, totally cool, 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 cool. And okay, it's, cool. it was incredible answer because I think like something like that is so cool. We obviously don't have that in the States, like a kind of like in between high school and wow. university thing. And we have seen, I mean, it's kind of crazy that we're like supposed to know what we want to do for the rest of our lives at 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And we've seen so many our, of our friends and this was like a big thing in, in starting our show, like come out of college and then be like, oh shit, like I don't really know what I want to do. I don't know if I want to yep. do what I studied and then like feeling really guilty about spending four years and a ton of money and like feeling like actually this doesn't fuel me. And yep. having to face that in, in, am I just going to do this for the rest of my life because I committed to it for four years or am I going to like shock a bunch of people and do something different? Yeah. So I think that that I'm, I'm glad you shared that because I know that it's a struggle that a lot of we've seen a lot of our friends face in that period of our lives. I've seen it too for decades I've seen people struggle with this and to make you slightly more jealous we don't have middle school either so high school starts in grade seven so wow. instead of what Americans do which is and most of Canadians actually um which is utterly ridiculous which is like break up high school into two traumatizing events there's yeah. one traumatizing event and <laughs> then get, I know it's so much better <laughs> I can't even tell you and then you don't spend a ton of money and you take college courses to get a feel for what you like wow. you know I would have gone into psychology or social work um, um, and I would have hated it because of a, a series of things. And yeah. I'm just so grateful that I got to do what I love. But I will also add to that, that um, I, I also have always had a very anti-capitalist set of values. I was never driven by money, which partially empowered me to do what I wanted because there was no money. It was not a career path. Um, I mean, it is now. 
people seem to feel like they can just become astrologers and make a living. And it seems like some can, mm. but really at the time that didn't exist. And yeah. the other part of it, I think is really important is a lot of the people that I know from the alternative C-Shop I went to went forth to do creative careers because we were empowered not just with like alternative education, but with independent learning, which is a big part of what so much alternative education is about. So I am a huge fan of independent uh, kind of alternative forms of learning because it fosters creative thinking, which empowers us to make difficult choices when everyone's like, I'm going to be, you know, uh, I'm going to be a cat with a hat. You can be like a cat with a purse. Like you don't have to do it the way everyone else is doing it. Um, but it, it takes skills to make that choice, not just luck or balls, but also skills, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I think something we've, we've noticed a lot with people that we love and even with ourselves sometimes is like the, the fear of what people in your life that may, may have expected you to do something different will think and the shame that comes along with that, because yeah, you're saying we don't have, we don't, and we don't, we don't have to do what everybody else is doing, but there is such a deep shame associated with that if it's not coming from an empowered place. So I think there's so much of that. And I do think that the the capitalist thing that you're, that you're saying, I think we do put a lot of weight on like this certain type of lifestyle, what that's supposed to look like, how we define success, like all these different things that I'm sure we could dive into, but yeah, it just, it, it makes, it plays such a difficult and integral role in the way that we kind of develop. So I'm just glad that there are people in the world like you um, that empower people to really kind of align with what they actually want to be doing and help them in making those choices because it, it can be really hard. Like the, the power of should is yes. unfortunately so strong and loud. Yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah, it's awful. I have found personally that like tools like astrology and getting to like know myself better on deeper levels have helped me navigate those things so much because it gives you, for me, it, I, like I'm an actor, I'm an artist. So I'm on that, like quote unquote, a little bit of like an alternative path than like the regular, like nine to five day job. And it's so easy, like when you're not feeling like fully successful to like get down on yourself, but like turning to like my tools, like astrology and stuff has helped to empower me to stay on my own path. And that's one of the things that I really have found through it. And so I think other people might find that as well as we dive deeper into this, but let's start really broad. My roommate walked into my bathroom the other, literally yesterday, cause I've been boasting about having you on the show. And he's like, Julia, he's like, what, like, why do I need to know my birth chart? He's like, why does that, why does that matter to me? Like, why does that help me? So I would love to start off with that question. I know it's really broad, but then we'll like break it down. Totally. Um, especially since we're going to go into like relationships. Why is it beneficial in your opinion for people to have some knowledge of their birth chart and mm-hmm. how can having that knowledge help us not only getting to know ourselves, but also help us in relating to others? That's a great question. But I will first say your roommate is the first man ever to question astrology in a slightly flippant way he's an original and someone should tell him yeah he's a real original yeah yeah um okay 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 sorry sorry (laughs) but real talks right um okay it's totally true and also you know sorry we didn't name his name and so we're being fine yeah I didn't name his name Joshua it's Joshua and everybody should know Joshua has real issues with astrology. No, I'm just joking. Okay. So there are many reasons, Um, you know, and, and the first one to so many straight boys, I'm not, I don't know if he's straight, but so many straight boys points. Yeah. Yeah. Of course he is. Sorry. Um, I mean, (laughs) he questioned astrology like that out of hand. So not 
everything is for everyone. You know what I mean? Not everything is for everyone. So if you don't like astrology because you've studied astrology and you're informed and you don't like it, all the fucking power to you. However, I have no tolerance for people who know nothing of which they speak and then like have a strong opinion about it. To me, that is a real, it's just embarrassing for them and they don't realize it. It's on any topic. On any topic, agreed. Especially a topic that is um, kind of in our current culture geared towards women, right? And Mm. astrology was for most of time, not geared towards women. It was geared towards royalty um, and scholars. But now, you know, since like the early 1900s, it's been geared towards women. And so unfortunately, there's like this cultural thing where men and intellectuals like to shit on it out of hand without having any kind of understanding or or substance behind it. So that's, you know, an aside to your question, but he put himself in the mix. So that's what happened. Okay? He wanted to know. He asked He why. wanted to know. And now, oh, and now we're going to tell an him. Answer. He's getting more than he wanted. Um, So the other reason why is because astrology does this really excellent job of contextualizing who we are and why we are the way we are and giving us tools and resources for understanding our, our assets, like what we have going for us, as well as the things that are in our way, whether they're societal, external, familial, inherited, or personal, you know, Um, they give us through having this understanding, they give us tools. It also contextualizes all manner of things like mental illness or physical illness, or, you know, why you're really great at writing and terrible at speaking to people or whatever it is, right? There's, there's kind of a reason for these things. And astrology is just like a lot of math. And so, when you start to see these patterns and, and uh, again, the math behind it and the reasons for it, for me, it's really empowering because I'm like, oh, okay, so it's not personal. It's not about morality or failures or successes even. It's about the energy we're working with, where we're at in our lives and how we can kind of leverage from there. The other thing is there are difficult transits. Uh, there are difficult periods in our lives that are described by difficult transits. And there are wonderful periods of our lives that are described by advantageous transits. And it's nice to know that, you know, using a little East coast conversation here, it's like, if it is, I don't know, January and it's snowing and you decide you're going to go out in your little like shoes with no socks and you want to wear a cute little outfit and not wear a jacket. Yeah. You're going to freeze. It's going to be miserable. You'll probably get sick. You're going to make people judge you. That's just working against the season is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Learning astrology, working with astrology empowers us to flow with the season we're at. Even if everyone else is out in shorts and t-shirts, if it's winter for you, dress for the fucking season. That way you are going to have the best possible experience. And so that's like, just like a very quick response of why it's valuable. But I should say another thing, which is that there are many forms of astrology. And then there's the astrology that you're kind of talking about, which is like my personal stuff and, you know, how I am romantically, et cetera. But there's also, you know, the astrology of the markets. There's like, I don't know, real estate astrology. There's medical astrology. There's so many forms of astrology. There's so many ways of using it. And, uh, you know, some people really just like using it to like predict external events and other people like me like to use it for like deep healing and you know to each their own so that's you tell him go to the bathroom and tell him that's the answer <laughs> i love it i love it thank, thank you joshua right yeah
Thank shout you. Out to personal shout out to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- no, I'm literally going to sound bite that and I'll like, oh, send, thank it. You. I'll send it right Thank to you. <laughs> I feel like Joshua should know. in the other room and so I'm just going to send it to him over there. I really <laughs> wanted to hear that. And he's not, is he a Virgo by any chance? No, he's a Capricorn. Okay. Uh, I'm a Cap too. I mean, listen, I remember I was once, I did like a book tour and there was all these people at Powell's books and this, like there was so few cis dudes in the audience. There were so few. And of course the one, raised his hand and he was like mm, astrology and I was it's just like why you got to be you know a stereotype of yourself but he yeah. to his credit was a Virgo so uh you know I felt like you know Virgos are very critical that's why and I, I like we'll, the we'll critical give it to him. We'll, give it, we'll to give it to him exactly not to Joshua Joshua, Joshua will be given a sound bite that's what he'll be yes <laughs> Joshua gets a sound bite that's all he gets um but you kind of touched on it Jessica and I think this I've seen people struggle in it here of like, how would you describe the push and pull between what's kind of destined for us based on mm. our birth charts and our own free will? I know yeah. that's a huge question. No, no, I have an answer. Okay, I, have a, I, have, I have a, it's a, it's a good question. And it's one that really, it turns people's brains into a noodle a little bit. So I'm happy to answer it. So think of it this way. And this is like a little bit of a dated uh, reference, but okay, bear with me. You know, Paris Hilton, like, you know, Paris Hilton, she was born into the Hilton, like she's like royalty. She's so much, much born into all the money, all this power. Um, She also has a certain aesthetic. Like she looks a particular way that is, you know, very conventionally beautiful, yada, yada. She has free will. I have free will. I do not have Paris Hilton's free will, right? That's easy to understand. The conditions that she was born into completely radically change her experience of the world and of free will than mine. Astrology, ditto, ditto. It's basically that we are born with certain kind of components in our nature, in our heredity, in our lived experience, in our parents' lived experience. Uh, and those things shape us. And within that shape, we have pure free will. So we don't have free will to be born in the 1920s if we're born in the 1990s. We do not have the free will to be born, you know, with different hair or in a different class than we were born into, a different religion we were born into, whatever the fuck it is. But within our existing uh, birth chart or circumstances, however you want to frame it, we have free will. So to me, it's not a contradiction at all. It's, I think that people have this idea about astrology when they don't fully understand it, that it's a belief system or that it's like some sort of like, ooh, like it's some spiritual thing that like falls over you like a cape. Um, but it's not, it's, it's a tool for understanding our nature and life. And that tool is an analytic tool. So it's just a tool for understanding. It's not, uh, it doesn't like make us a particular way. It describes the energies that we've experienced or that we embody. Yeah. That's a really great way to put it. I feel like that's so, so tangible. Yeah. Great. Good. I'm so glad. I so agree. And I, I think that that's part of the, the biggest thing that probably a lot of people do run into exactly like you said, is this idea that like, they almost like have a hard time wrapping their minds around it because it's almost like they think there's only one way of looking at things when like, it really is meant to also be like a reflective thing. And I will totally give it to Julia. She dove into astrology and definitely has shared so much of just like her journey through navigating it and just learning more with our friend group. And it's definitely intrigued me so much more than I probably would have if I wasn't exposed to her like passion for it just in general. So it's cool too, that as people like start to, you know, as, as people we love start to like explore other aspects of things, it just, I remember one day, 
um, I went over, she was reading a book and she read me all of these different sections of it. And I was, I was mind blown, Julia. Do you remember? I was like, yeah, I think Brenda had like a full life crisis. She was like, I need to like go and talk to my mom and like understand everything about my past. Literally. It was so funny. But it was so powerful at the same time. So I, I love everything. It like opens doors to like think about certain things. I feel like in ways that we wouldn't like Brenda and I always talk about asking ourselves the hard questions. Like, and I, that's something we've been learning through this podcast so much about, you know, what are the right questions to ask ourselves and asking ourselves the hard questions. So like we were talking about earlier, we can live of our most like authentic best versions of ourselves and I feel like astrology has given me just some of those questions to ask and explore yeah for sure definitely and it promotes for sure that deep thinking so anyways to switch gears slightly let's talk a little bit about relationships so is it true that certain sun signs are more or less compatible with other sun signs No and yes, both in a very surfacey way, which to be fair, millions of people around the world live their whole lives in a surfacey way. But in a surfacey way, sun sign compatibility is a very big deal. However, no, it's not. I don't, I don't, I don't buy into sun sign compatibility. Listen, if you tell me like I'm a Gemini and I'm dating, you know, a Sagittarius, I can be like, Oh, word, word, word. And you'd be like, OMG, that's me. And you'll be very impressed, but it's very surface Mm. in, in like dating and starting to date someone you'll probably really notice it because in astrology, the sun, so AKA your sign is your identity and your will and your sense of self. It's how you really Um, want people to experience you. And the reality is in relationships, um, they're emotional. So we want to look at the moon, which governs emotions. A lot of people, and I'll say in particular, straight people um, get married out of a sense of obligation to please their families, or they're looking for someone to, you know, give them a family and like a conventional life. Those people are not dating out of their sun or their moon. They're dating out of fucking Saturn. Mm -hmm. So it depends. People get married or partnered because they have great sex or great chemistry. That's Mars. So there's, it depends on what kind of relationship you're having and what kind of insight you're looking for. Mm. Sun sign astrology is accessible. It is accessible for people who are just learning about astrology and it's fun, um, but it's not that deep. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I feel like I'm pandering to you because I know you're in Long Island, but it's just like sun sign astrology is like saying pasta and tomatoes is pasta with marinara it's not it's not but technically kind of a little you know like it's not if you've had a real marinara you know some crushed tomatoes does not do it (laughs) right yeah Yeah. no no it it makes perfect sense and I think also like it just goes with with anything really that like something doesn't have to be this like be all end all and like you, you don't have to like go you know take its word for it like in every capacity or like you know if there comes someone that <laughs> you aren't compatible with, but like somehow ends up being the best person in your life. Like you don't have to choose to not date them as a result of that. No, exactly. Yeah. And I'll tell you to that, I get questions from my podcast because I answer listener questions on it that are like, my astrology says, you know, I shouldn't be compatible with my best friend, but she's my best friend. I love her. And yeah. I want to say that astrology doesn't say shit. Astrology is not a person. Astrology yeah. is a study. And so an astrologer may have said something or worse astrology AI, when you're looking at a lot of these astrology apps, 
they're AI. They're not interpretive. Uh, they're not being interpreted individually for you. And so, you know, when we abandon common sense for any reason, we're abandoning ourselves really is my attitude. So like, you know, if astrology, if you're reading some astrology content or you're talking to an astrologer and they say something that doesn't resonate with your experience, it's wrong, yeah. period, you know? And I just think that's a really important thing. I think so many people are indoctrinated into religion as something that they need to be obedient to. And so then when they turn to spirituality, they have this idea that like it has to be right or wrong mm. and they get all in. But that's not a good idea. I think we need to be critical thinkers and we need to refer back to our own lived experience, our own felt experience without just like giving away our power to some nerd astrologer, which I am one, or, you know, an astrology book, which I wrote one or a horoscope, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, I'm not trying to shit on those things. I do those things, but you know, we must all, you know, again, use common sense. And I think, again, that's a skill. And it's one that is worth cultivating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I just because like we're talking about astrology for women and because it's like kind of coming into being a hot thing that people on social media are doing. Like I've had so many friends be like, you know, on dating apps and whatever, be like, oh, like I can't date him. Like he's like a whatever or a whatever. And it's like we can't. Yes, maybe we can use astrology to like figure out stuff about our own self and how we want to love and be intimate and whatnot, but we can't just like discount someone because like they're a Sagittarius. I don't know. Like that, I mean, and people it, do it. People do it a lot. And those people don't know enough about astrology to be using astrology yes. in that way. Yeah. First of all, the person could be a Sagittarius with five planets in your favorite sign. Right. But really the, the real deal, and this is the most important thing I can say, what you like, what signs you like are a reflection on you and your birth chart and not on that sign, because you could date five Libras that are just garbage people. They just like shit all over your life. They ruin everything, but that's not actually a reflection of the Libras of the world. It's a reflection of the Libras you chose and it chose you back. That shit's on you. And it's not like blaming victim stuff. It's more about understanding that there are, you know, billions and billions of people, trillions of people. There's a lot of fucking people out there. And we are not dating all the people of the world. We are dating the people that we resonate with. And so how I feel about, you know, any individual sign is reflected in my birth chart. And so it's not about the quality of those people. It's about our interactions. And it's about what I resonate with and therefore what I choose. And again, this idea that I hear people, especially younger people talk about of like, oh, I'll never date. I mean, I've had people like come for me online, get very mad, unfollow me because I say not all Geminis are bad people or like not all Libra men are shitty. And they are like, you don't fucking know. These are all my experiences. But again, all of our individual experiences are not reliably a reflection on all the people of a world, right? And I just feel like, again, that's just common sense. And this is where I think some people who are haters of astrology, who are uninformed, part of why they dislike astrology is because of how people who aren't really experts in it use it to pathologize people and to explain away their experiences or invalidate other people to be like, mm -hmm. Oh, you know, Joshua's just a fucking Virgo. Like, that's a shitty thing to do. I'll do it. I did it. But, you know, he's not a Virgo. I know that. I was just using it as an example. Like, yeah. it's it's just one of those things where it's invalidating the complexity of a person, yeah. which is easy to do with Joshua just for the podcast purpose. Yes, but yeah. in general, not a good idea. <laughs> 
Everybody knows that Brenna and I are super big on habits and having and maintaining habits that help us live our best lives. And sometimes we need a little help tracking those habits so that we can make sure we're staying on top of things in order to reach our goals, whatever our goals may be. And that's why today we're talking about Noom. Noom is a great tool to help you track your habits in order to reach your health and wellness goals, whatever they may be if you have them, which if you don't, all good. But if you have a health or wellness goal, Noom is a great tool to help you out. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. And again, this is so personal. And Noom understands that everybody's goals are unique and what works for someone else might not work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible. It focuses on on progress and not perfection, which we love, allowing you to work towards your goals at a pace that is comfortable and right for you, whatever those goals may be. So start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash believe. Again, that's noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. So if someone is interested in like getting to know their chart and they want to use it to understand how they relate better to like others and want to use it maybe in figuring out because a lot of women in their 20s are looking for relationships. It's yep. part of being in our 20s, whether that's one person or multiple people, whatever is good for you. But so how, what are some of the planets that we should start to look into some of the parts of our chart that will inform us on how we behave in our love life. So there's a lot of ways of thinking about that and answering that, you know, and, and it, 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 there's a myriad, a myriad of ways. Um, but I, I will say, I will say this, the bear with me, let me find the right way of framing yes, this please. because if you come from trauma, the way I'm going to point you to look at your chart is completely different than you never really went through anything that hard. I mean, dating That's is hard. really good to know. Yeah. yeah. It's very different, right? Yeah. It's very different. If you yourself have been had trauma, but your parents had a traumatic relationship or one of your parents was abused in their childhood. Um, yeah. I'm going to give you really different advice than if you come from like a generations of well-adjusted safe people, you know, um, if you're looking for a relationship because you want to be married, I'm going to give you different advice than if you're looking for relationships that are healthy because that's a different goal. And I'm going to say that again, it is a different goal to want to be married than to want to be in a healthy relationship. And I think people have these assumptions that it's the same goal, but this is where we need to pay attention to history because the reality is if you were trying to get married in the seventies as a straight woman, you didn't have a lot of choices. That was very recently. It was very recently. Women for the bulk of history have been property. We didn't get to choose. We didn't have agency. So there's a lot of inherited trauma, generational trauma yeah. that I think a lot of people have men and women and people of other genders as well um, around intimacy and closeness and our value. And so if you are looking at things from a complex and nuanced place, I think the first place to start is your relationship to agency, your relationship to your own emotions, your willingness to choose what is healthy and good for you versus someone to like you and approve of you and tell you you're okay, which is what so many people in their twenties are doing. And so 
that said, let's say you're just like, okay, that's all very fine and good. I just want to fuck someone and then have them around all the time. So I can keep on fucking them. And they tell me they like me and we hang out on the holidays. Okay. If that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Look at the moon, look at the, look at Venus, look at Mars, look at the sun. Right. But if you want, if you want a good life, like if your goal is to have like a good life, then the twenties are when you should make compromises, the 20, not compromises for what you want, but compromises for not getting what you want right away. So you know what the fuck you truly want, right? The twenties are when you've got less to lose. It feels like everything is so pressing and you got to get it done by the time you're 30. That's wrong. And anyone over the age of 30 will tell you, except for maybe your parents, that shit's not true because the reality is in your twenties, you can burn it all to the ground and rebuild it and everyone doesn't you know it's not that big a deal try doing that in your 30s try in your 40s try in your 70s it gets harder with time and the desire to be happy and to have good sex and to be healthy and to have friends doesn't go away in your 20s and I think for whatever reasons uh, a lot of people feel that way like oh at 30 I'll be done you know I want to be settled down to me in my late 40s the idea of being settled down sounds like slow death you know, just really mm. slow death. I want to be yeah. fucking settled down. That's awful. It's yeah. being settled. I don't want to settle and down. Why would I be settled down again? Yeah. It comes from an oppressive and restrictive set of expectations that we had, you know, that women had back in the day and back in the day, I mean, very recently until very recently. And yeah. so it's really about for me, and I know I'm not giving you a very astrological answer, but no. that's because it's, it's more complex than that. Yeah. yeah. So the, the way to go is to stop looking at your crushes charts and to stop looking at your partner, you know, the person you're dating's charts and to really stay focused on your own. Because when people come in for a reading with me and they are talking about their relationships, they're always coming in with their, their dates, birth info. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to look at that because all the answers are in your chart. You know, they're always in your chart because what you're consenting to, what you're engaging with, how you're participating, what you think is hot, what you don't, um, all those kinds of things are in your chart. And we don't need to see the, the nerd you're dating to know the nerd you are. Mm. That, I made it weird, but you, you know what I'm saying? No, yeah. I love Absolutely. It. No, we love it. And kind of speaking of like sex and all the things that you just mentioned, um, how do placements in our charts when it comes to just like our sex lives, like how is that impacted? Oh, I love talking about sex and astrology. Um, I mean, there's no part of our lives that aren't reflected in the birth chart, which is really cool. So again, and I don't know if you guys are straight or if your listenership is straight, it is a different answer mm. for straight people than it is for queer people not because of being straight or queer, but because of social expectations and pressures and heterosexual dynamic is, I, I know it's like, people think it's hard to be gay. The hardest thing in the world I can imagine is being a straight girl because <laughs> you have to deal with the pressures of straight men um, in the bedroom and in general. And it's not like I'm shitting on straight men. Enough people are out there doing that. I don't need to do that. But it's more that the dynamic, the expectations and the dynamic are very difficult. So I preface, you know, what I'll say with that. When we're looking at sexual desire, sexual tastes, our pace in terms of sex, like, you know, whether you want to go all night or get it done, you know, uh, we look to Mars. Um, we look to Mars. Mars is the one. So you look to the Mars placement, which is the Mars sign and a Mars house. But you also want to look at aspects between other planets and Mars, because that'll give us a lot of information. Um, 
Now, if we are looking at sex, honestly, we have to acknowledge trauma. So again, women in particular, straight women, and this is speaking in very broad strokes, but broadly speaking, have a harder time acknowledging their agency in the bedroom. So don't tell their partners frequently what they want. And a lot of that is because of how their male partners respond when they're like, yeah, don't fucking do that. Or yeah, I like that, but do it better this way or whatever. Um, and I hear from straight women all the time, like I can't cause it hurts his feelings or he gets defensive or I just feel really awkward about it. And so again, you know, what we like in bed is not necessarily what we're doing in bed. Mm-hmm. And that's real. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have counseled many men, straight men, not gay men, about they come to me and they're like, I don't know why I need to have an emotional connection to have good sex. And they're upset about it. And they go to therapy about it. They think it's bad. They think that's bad. Um, it's shocking. But again, you know, it's 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 really an important thing because understanding that we are nurtured so radically differently between genders and around sexuality, um, around sexuality that it, it, it creates a lot of difficulties, I think, in, in terms of how we relate sexually to our partners. I will say that when I'm looking at someone's sexuality, I start with Mars, but I never end there because there are very few people amongst us that aren't actively traumatized or traumatizing other people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know if I really answered that question, but I would add another couple of things. One is that Venus is related to sensual connections. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you like being like touchy feely and making out around sex or like snuggling, that shit's all your Venus. And I also think that there are different planets in the, in, in, in the birth chart that describe whether or not we place other people's sexual desires and needs above our own. Mm, um, and interesting. isn't it though? It's yeah, very, yeah. very interesting. And, and that is really hard. I mean, like as a queer person, you know, I have this point of reference around tops and bottoms, you know what I mean? You know what a top and a bottom is? Yeah, you know, yeah. Okay. So tops and bottoms um, in straight culture, that doesn't seem to exist. Yeah. So again, I've had countless straight women come to me and be like, just devastated by the dynamic in their bedroom with a dude. And I'm like, oh, he's just a bottom. You just have to initiate sex. You just have to like make the damn moves. And the cultural pressure for all men to be tops and all women to be bottoms is devastating for people, yeah. but yeah. it's, it's, it's real. And again, that's not reflected in astrology per se. I mean, mm-hmm. it can be, but that's reflected in like you know, inherited trauma and social bullshit, which, you know, we see how we respond to that in the birth chart, but that is temporal. That's not like inherent to our natures. It's so interesting. And I think so many people are going to be like, oh my God, I want to do such a deep dive now because it's obviously so complex and so layered. Like we were saying earlier, like you can't just look at someone's sun sign and like know if they're right or wrong for you. But this is like a weird question. I know nothing about this. Is astrology and like reading of charts ever used for like couples therapy in a way and like understanding like, oh, like you, like communication styles and like you feel this way because of like maybe this and like this is how you could like one partner could help the other or vice versa yeah I do I do that um that's so so cool yeah so when I'm doing couples counseling for romantic couples for families or for business partners because I do it with all what I'll do is I'll cast the chart of 
one person and then the other person, study them both uniquely. And then there's something called the composite chart. And the composite chart is really interesting. So if you're using astrology apps, you're using Synastry. I hate Synastry. I don't hate it. I don't fucking, I don't fuck with it. But <laughs> I, I use composite charts. So what a composite chart is, is it's the midpoint between you and me. So it's the midpoint between your sun and my sun is our sun. Your moon and my moon is our moon. And that is essentially, it is the chart of the life of the union you share with that person, which is why you might, be besties with someone and you would never fucking date them because they're terrible to the people they date, but they're great friends. Or you could totally live with someone, but not really socialize with them. You know what I mean? Like there's the life of a relationship. It's not about what the person is inherently. It's about the life of the relationship. So I will counsel couples on both who they are as individuals and also the relationship itself. And in fact, I did an episode of Ghost of a Podcast recently and I called it love reading. I can't remember what number it was, like 240 something, 250 something, 240 something. Um, it was called love reading. And in that, I did exactly that. I had a couple on, I looked at both of their charts and their composite and I counseled them. And it was like two hours, but we edited it down to an hour. Um, so yeah, couples counseling is a thing. That said, you must, if you're going, if somebody, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to do that, be fucking careful because you need an experienced expert. Um, and it's not shitting on people who are new to astrology or, you know, starting their private practice. It's just about, there are certain things you really don't want to invite someone to counsel you on unless they know how to counsel, not just read astrology, but communicate and counsel. And that is not something that everyone who's an astrologer can do because counseling skills are a different skill set than astrology if that makes sense a hundred percent it is so interesting though and that is so cool i think it's very cool i agree that was so cool um i have a question that's a little bit away from relationships but i have to ask because i have you here and it's the it's one of the things in astrology that still feels very confusing to me no matter how much i like try to read about it mine's coming or has already started um saturn return Saturn return. Can you please explain what that is for people who don't know? Sure. Um, Okay. And then I'll ask my follow-up questions. Go there. Okay. Okay. So there, there are certain transits and the Saturn return is one of them that happens to everybody at the same age, right? So the Saturn return happens depending on how long you live two to three times over the course of your lifetime. The first time is around 29 years old then around 59, then around 89. Okay. So um, the first Saturn return is when you become an adult. So from an astrological viewpoint, your 20s are the adult years of your childhood. And when you hit your sudden return, it's when you step into your true adult years, 30 to 60. So again, in your 20s, I'm not saying chill out, don't care. I'm saying chill out. You're not running out of time. You're still a damn kid. And I, if somebody said that to me, I mean, I said that to me in my 20s, but I would have been offended. Uh, so I don't mean it in an offensive way. It's more just about like an astrological viewpoint on human development. Okay. So the Saturn return, what happens is you hit like 27 years old and you start to fucking panic. Everything's collapsing. You feel like you don't know who you are and you have to figure it out. And it's a rush. Your friendships start to fall apart. You're like, who are these people? Do I even care about them? Do we care about the same things? You start to really freak out. This is where you start to truly identify whether or not you have been living 
to accommodate the people you grew up around, your family of origin, expectations placed upon you. And you start to feel like a, a burning fire of trash if you've been living in ways that are not authentic. And then the Saturn return happens. The Saturn return can last a week and it can last a year, anywhere in between. And the Saturn return is when you step into adulthood. And for some people, it's like, you know, a very specific week or a very intense year. And for other people, it's a little more subtle, but most commonly it's when people get married or divorced, they have their first kid, they graduate, they go back to school. It's big things because you're stepping into society as an adult, right? Um, and it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult transit and we can talk about it in greater depth if you want. But then what you need to know is that you're closing the cycle that started at your birth and you're opening a new cycle that will close at around 60 when you're close to retirement, if there's such a thing as retirement when y'all turn 60. So the, I mean, I'm sorry, I apologize for the world. Um, but this is a really big time because the foundations you lay now will have massive consequence over the next 30 years of your life. And these are very important years, right? Um, so yeah, the Saturn return is, is a very big deal. And I, um, you know, I was raised Jewish. I don't, I wasn't raised around a lot of Christians or whatever, but I watched the 1970 something musical, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're interested in, I don't know if you've heard of him, Jesus Christ was a big deal. <laughs> if you're interested in that movie, his, the whole Jesus story is a Saturn return. It starts, uh, it starts leading up to a sudden return. And then he's on the cross at 33, which is the Christ year is when you're 33. And it's this pinnacle of the Saturn return. And the Christ year only happens once, whereas the Saturn return happens up to three times over the course of a life. So it's a really good like parable for the Saturn return, depending on how you look at it. So crazy. Um, I, yeah, I have follow-up questions. Um, cause I feel like for some reason, I don't know why, like I, I'm just getting personal. So sorry, Brenda. I've always felt oh, like 29 since I was like 16. I always felt like 29 was going to be a very important year for me. Like even before mm -hmm. I knew about astrology, I just had this feeling that like 29 is like, is going to be something big and seemingly positive of what I feel in my body, but who knows? We'll see when we get there. But, um, so how can we like not having that knowledge, like how can we work with that? Are there certain things we can do to prepare for yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So Saturn is one of the planets in the Zodiac that loves preparation. So when I'm trying to describe Saturn to people, there's two archetypes I refer to. One is Darth Vader because it's all monochromatic, very militaristic, all about repression, all about data issues. And the other one is Mary Poppins because it's also about daddy issues, but she comes in to heal the children from the banker daddy. So it's about capitalism. It's about rules. She's very strict, but she's magical, right? So when we hit Saturn transits, we can always go to Darth Vader vibes or Mary Poppins vibes. I, of course, vote Mary Poppins. Um, in other words, we can get really conservative and we can start thinking, oh God, what do I have to do so that I'm okay? Um, and you start bending to the will of others, bending to convention, or you can step into magic. How can you be a firm and, uh, a firm and kind of uh, 
kind parent to yourself? How can you take responsibility for your actions? How can you align with your integrity? How can you prioritize balance in your life? Understanding that balance is not just about what you do for work or how you manage your money, what kind of friend you are. It's also how you feel and how you relate to your emotions and your psychology and where spirituality plays into your life. Again, watch Mary Poppins, very helpful. Um, so the, the kind of work of prepping for your son return is striving to live authentically and to have integrity in the ways in which you live. That's it. And what that looks like for me and for you and for someone else is going to be different, right? Because our charts are different, but there's no way to fail your Saturn return. All you can do is have what you perceive to be successes or setbacks. In both cases, you must learn from them. If you don't learn, if you're not being humble and you're not learning, okay, I guess then you're failing, but that's the only way to fail. Yeah. Fucking up, having setbacks, that's not a failure. It's only a failure if you don't learn from those things. And that's true broadly, but specifically with the Saturn return. Yeah. Does that, does that answer that? Yeah. Yes. And, and that's you both. I'm 26. So I'm, you're pretty. I'm also 26, but coming up to 27. You're in almost August. 27. I'll be so 27 you're, in you're, August. You're right. You're like getting close to it. And depending, yeah, you know, some yeah. people said on returns will happen at 28, most people 29. And you're right at the beginning of that time where you're starting to feel this internal sense of like pressure, right? Yeah. And in your generation, inevitably, your sudden return has to do with COVID. And it has to do with the fact that we're on the brink of a world war, right? So even if COVID becomes endemic soon and the war does world war doesn't occur. That's a part of your Saturn return is that here we are as a collective in this time. You know, I don't think that we can separate anyone's Saturn return ever again from the climate crisis Yeah, ever again, because making choices in this life while pretending that we're not on a burning planet I mean, that's an act of willful ignorance, right? Because we all know it. So, you know, when I think about the Saturn return, it's not just about how you feel and who you're dating and all that kind of stuff. It is also about your relationship to the planet, to the world around you. That's what makes an adult, right? It's understanding that you exist within a collective and that you have a responsibility to the collective. Mm. It's not that the collective has a responsibility to you. It's that there's a reciprocity there. And in our twenties, we run around being like, I just discovered that things are not fair. I'm going to, you know, bang pots and pans about it. And sometimes we do that with activism. And sometimes we do that with complaining or putting our head in the sand. There's a million ways of living. Yeah. But when we hit the center return, it's like, how am I going to be a part of the solution? Mm. Or how am I going to say I'm burnt out from trying and now I'm just going to focus on me. And you know, pros and cons of all approaches. But my, my conviction is that as you're in the years leading up to the Saturn return, which you're both at the precipice of, but not quite there, you will have to rise to the occasion mm -hmm. and that will feel bad. And you yeah. will be amongst your peers around other people who are rising to the occasion, but they've decided it's a different occasion and the rise is a different thing. And instead of taking it personally, locate yourself be like, okay, so I'm realizing that half my friends do not share my fucking values. And I thought we all agreed, but we do not. Okay. Instead of losing too much time and energy on taking that personally, just own it. Yeah. You're not yeah. who you thought you were, or you made choices to be close to people who are not what they, you thought they were. Mm. Now what? Mm. Now what? 
you know, yeah. and that doesn't mean don't be in the emotions. Now what might be, okay, I'm going to be depressed for three months. That's what fuck. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it might be, yeah. I'm going to make an effort to meet new people or to have better boundaries with the people I'm close to already. And I keep on mentioning friends because that tends to be a big part of the Saturn return. Yeah. Wow. No, that's, that's super powerful. And there's, I could list a gazillion things that um, you said that are valuable. And I think that the main, just like all encompassing takeaway is I think we put a lot of pressure around doing things right and forget that like our version of what's right is going to look different from the people around us. And it's going to feel different. And clearly, as you're saying, the most important piece is to acknowledge that it's going to look different and to own that it will and align with that instead of doing what other people are going to be doing. And I think a big part, um, something that keeps coming up for myself and Julia over the past, honestly, probably all of our episodes to some underlying capacity is this idea of like failure and all this stuff. And we consistently remind each other and our audience that like, we do either, you know, win or we learn and trying to really embrace that because I think we can sink so deeply into this idea that we're not where we expected we were going to be by this time, whether we either changed our minds and what we thought we were going to do, or we expected to be what we define as further along. And as a result, we're failing. And um, yeah, I just think it's so powerful that you're basically telling us that the, the key here is be yourself, align with what you actually want and you can't fail. <laughs> so exactly. that's just really, um, exactly empowering. (laughs) And let me add to that because I'm obsessed with failure. Um, I'm obsessed with it. And what I really believe, and I I wish more people would embrace is that it is impossible to be a successful person and not fail. It's impossible. It is impossible to live a life without failure. Everybody fails. Every single body fails. And every successful thing you see an inspiring person do is the thing that came after failures or the thing that came before failures, that's life. So if we don't attach to what a failure means and instead become inquisitive about why it feels the way it feels and what we can learn from it and how it came to be, that's where we win. You know, there's been times in my life where I really wanted something to happen and it didn't happen. And I felt like it was a failure and it bummed me out obviously. Right. And most of those things I can look back at and be like, fucking thank God that didn't happen. You know, um, thank God that didn't happen. And you know, whether that's like dating someone or getting a job or whatever it is. And it's sometimes really valuable to be able to be inquisitive and to be like, okay, why do I think this is the thing I need? Why do I want this thing? Um, and you know, through my counseling practice, I've seen people get so fixated on jobs so fixated on jobs as though you get a job and it's going to make you happy. And how frequently have you heard that from your peers? Oh yes. This job makes me happy. Like that's not the answer. Identifying what we do with what we are is a failure. That's the failure, not the getting to do the thing, you know, it's, it's, and no one in their twenties is good at this. I think no one's good at this in general, but in particular your twenties, are when you you bump up against your expectations of the world and yourself. And it's not like you stop doing that in your 30s or your 50s, but in your 20s, it's the first time you're doing it. And in your 30s, it's not the first time anymore. And in your 50s, you're like, oh, fuck, I've been doing this a long time now. I know some things. But in your 20s, you look like an adult. You smell like an adult. You think Mm -hmm. like an adult, but you don't have the experiences of an adult because you're still pulling off of your teen years as your lived experience. You hit an age where it doesn't even occur to you to think about your teen years anymore as like a part of your adult experience. Then you start calling that your childhood, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And 
that's not about like hierarchical thinking. It's more about understanding and having empathy for your 20s because you simply don't have the lived experience to back up your self-esteem or your understanding of the world or your choices. You're you're feeling around in the dark, you know? Yeah. 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 We, we all collectively take a deep breath. Like literally, <laughs> yeah. like this, I feel like I'm being healed right now. <laughs> Jessica, you you are such a gift, and I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I wish we could keep you all day long because I could talk to you all day. Um, but we have to let you go. But before we do, we just have two little last questions for you that we ask all of our guests. Um, and you've given us so much wisdom on this next one already. But if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would you tell 20s year old Jessica? Oh God, I needed to chill out. <laughs> I mean, a lot of what I've already said to you is what I would say to me. I, everything was at its 10, 100% of the time for me. You know, I, all of my emotions, all of the situations I was in were so important. And I felt I spent so much time and energy trying to be right, to be okay. Um, and honestly, what I would tell myself it wouldn't matter. I wouldn't listen because I needed to go through what I've gone through in order to chill out at all. And, you know, my friends may laugh to think I'm chilled out now, but compared to the way I was, I'm very chill. Um, I, I would, I guess I would just talk about the failure stuff to myself, probably that I just talked about with you, but the most important answer I can give you is it wouldn't matter because we don't, what we are is so much about how we feel. And nothing changes the way you feel other than like nurturing your feelings and time. So all the things I would love to say to my younger self, eh, I'm sure someone said them to me. I don't know what they would have fucking done, you know? Um, So, yeah. And I never was scared of aging. So I always knew that in my thirties, things would get easier and they did like they very did. Um, But it's not a very satisfying answer, but that's the best one I got for you. Okay. Okay, cool. Oh, good. Okay, cool. That's good. No, it, it totally is. And and I think it, that just everything that you're sharing really is stuff that I know we need to hear and be reminded of. And I think a lot, like something we've been touching on a lot lately is just like, sometimes we're just like not ready to receive it or we can hear something, yeah. but it doesn't land in the right way. And then I don't know, a couple of years later, a couple of months later, we're like, Oh, that's where that was. That's what that meant. Um, so yeah. it absolutely makes sense. Um, and our last question for you, because we just want people to get more connected to you and be able to find you wherever you are, <laughs> um, is where can people find you? Where can they find the book, your podcast or any other resources you have to offer? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, okay. So, uh, I have a podcast called ghost of a podcast and I answer listener questions every week and give the astrological forecast for the week ahead. So you can tune into that anywhere podcasts are heard. Um, also my website is lovelaniato.com and it is very cute. I mean, it's very if you're, cute. Thank you. I, I mean, I don't want to brag, but I do no, because it's, it's really cute. cute. It's really, thank cute. you. I appreciate that. And on, uh, on my website, you know, I've got some classes for sale. You can, there's links to join me on Patreon or get into lots of stuff. Um, and I've got like videos and, you know, articles and all that kind of good stuff. And you can get, a a free, it's, there's a free chart drawing tool. So you can get your chart drawn. Um, and also I've got something called tiny spark, which is an app I created for iOS, but I embedded it onto my homepage for Android users. And it's like a, a magic eight ball 
basically, but it's in my voice and it's cute and pink. Um, so you can use all those things there. And then you can follow me on Instagram where I drop videos mainly as planets. Uh, and I speak on behalf of the planets and describe astrology because I just feel like I'm so bored of faces. I know yeah. everyone's like face, 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 but through fucking, I mean, I've been bored of faces for a long time, but through COVID, it's just been, everything's been online and I'm so sick of seeing people's faces posing yeah. online. So I just am not a person. I'm usually like a lemon or a Saturn or whatever. So yeah. you can find me there That's if you're so sick fun. of faces and yearning for astrology. <laughs> Amazing, Love Jessica. It. Thank you so, Thank you. so much. This has Thank been you. really incredible. We are so grateful for you and your time and for being here with us today so thank you it's been so much fun i i was sad when you said it was over so oh, thanks so much doll. i just have to say your dog has been so charming this whole time thank oh. you sometimes she's not as docile usually she likes to chime in with her opinions on what we're talking about but she's, oh shit she's just laying over there oh she knows we're talking so about her so cute he's the sweetest little thing i just oh, feel like so, so thank you so much Absolutely. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.